Welcome to Naples Talk Radio. Naples Talk Radio is a podcast where you go behind the scenes with the local community leaders to hear stories about how they are influencing and changing your Southwest Florida community. I'm your host, Mark Matos. Today I'll be meeting with Carrie Kursky. Carrie is a highly sought after national speaker, trainer, author, and consultant on the topics of identity theft, fraud, and data privacy. She's the author of the book, Your Public Identity, because nothing is private anymore. She's also a contributing writer for AgentCare.com and Naples Daily News. Carrie has been quoted on numerous publications, such as Real Simple Magazine and TechRepublic.com. She's a regular guest on various news programs on NBC2, ABC7, Fox4, NPR, and Wink News. In 2014, Congressman diaz Balart lauded Carrie with congressional record for her work on that identity theft. In 2015, Carrie was the driving force behind strengthening Florida's identity theft laws, including making identity theft for business a crime in the state. Carrie is the director of the Identity Fraud Institute at Hodges University. Carrie, welcome to Naples Talk Radio. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, I've been in Naples since I was 10 years old. Uh, moved down here with my family uh, from Ohio, like a lot of the transplants, and uh, so I consider myself a semi-native to the Naples area. Uh, you know, went to school at UCF, so I left for a little while and realized, you know, how beautiful it was here, and, and came back and started a family and been here ever since. So very nice. So you're also Rotarian as well. Yes, I am. Yeah, I became official member in March, so I'm good. excited. <laughs> yeah, good for you. I love Rotary. It's a it's a great organization. It is. Um, but you also focus mainly on identity theft. Is that right? Yes. Uh, by trade, I'm a private investigator. My company's been in Naples since 2001, and about 2006 started getting calls from identity theft victims seeking assistance. And back then, there wasn't much. If you went on the internet, there were very limited resources. A lot of the laws weren't in place at the time. Um, so I'm not the type of person who tells someone, sorry, can't help you, you know, find something else. So I took it upon myself to find ways to help these people. Um, and of course, you know, once you help one victim, they know someone else is a victim, and it just kind of grew from there. So there's a lot of victims. There are a lot of victims. The latest statistic is that every two seconds, another American becomes a victim. Holy smoke, every yes. two seconds. Yes. So what, what does that look like, becoming a victim of identity theft? Well, you know, most people just assume it's credit cards because that's the one you hear about. That's the most frequent one. And I, that's happened to me. Yes. When my credit card gets hacked, it seems like it happens every once in a while. That's exactly. It's almost guaranteed to happen. Right. Well, the only problem with that is that that's a quick, easy fix. You call your bank, you call the credit card company, you get a new card, problem solved. Um, but the victims that I've worked with, much more invasive. Uh, for example, I have uh, clients that are on the no-fly list, the terrorist watch list, because someone's <laughs> using happened. their identity. Oh, yeah, yeah. So somebody's uh, using their identity, and they end up on the terror watch list. Exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah, so for them to so fly, they show up to the airport and... uh, well, the first time it was very shocking. Uh, then after that, they have to go through this whole big procedure, more than just the, you know, the TSA pre-check. That's a very involved process just so they can fly. Um, I've you know worked with with children. Uh, one gentleman he came to me. He was 24 years old. Tried to get his first apartment and was denied for bad credit. And he's like, I've never had credit. What are you talking about? And uh, after we looked at his reports, he'd been a victim since he was two years old. Oh my God! So for 22 years, someone destroyed his credit. There. How, were, how does a two-year-old get a credit card? 
Well, see, that's the problem. It's only based on social security numbers. So when you apply for credit, they're just validating the SSN. There's no name or there's no date of birth to match it to. So you should really keep that number private and, you know, obviously not share it with anybody unless you have to. Well, exactly. And and for children, fortunately, in the state of Florida, um, as of 2014, you can put a credit freeze on a child's credit report. Now, it's not 100% because there's a credit file and a credit report, but at least it's better than nothing. You know, it's, it's the first step to help protect your child. How would you do that? You'd contact each credit bureau directly. Um, has to be done in writing because you have to send proof of being the parent or guardian. And per Florida statute, it's a $10 fee per bureau. So for $30, it's a pre- pretty good investment. It sounds like it's a good investment. Yeah. So tell me about the Identity Theft Fraud Institute. Yeah, that was, um, well, I've always said that if I was independently wealthy, I would start this nonprofit so that way, Mm -hmm. you know, we could reach more people. And in 2013, I was approached by Sheriff Rambosk. Uh, He was putting together an identity theft task force. And, you know, because I was doing my my speaking engagements around town, Mm -hmm. the Sheriff's Department, everybody was doing their own thing. And we said, we need to bring it together for a cohesive message. And so the task force ended up being about 20 different, um, it's a consortium of 20 different local organizations. And the very first forum we held, over 300 people showed up to a room that only fit 120. Oh my God. So you knew there was something there. Definitely. And everyone we did after that, it was standing room only. So, you know, we, we knew that the message was getting out there. I mean, we had a very broad approach, you know, and people were finally starting to get the information. And then it got to the point where because the task force wasn't actually an entity itself, it was just a consortium, that's when uh, Hodges University approached and said, we'd like to get involved, what can we do? Mm -hmm. So out of that was born the Identity Fraud Institute. Uh, We launched it part-time in 2015, and September of last year, they asked me to come on full-time to head up the institute. And we've been doing a lot of just testing the market, seeing what the community really wanted. You know, is it more victim assistance? Is it education? Is, you know, what, what, where could we fill a need? And after two years, obviously victim assistance. Uh, right now, because I am the institute, I'm the only one right now, um, we've had to limit the amount of victims that we can assist to 30-minute consultations. Um, I get three to five phone calls a week from people. Sometimes I get two or three a day, just depending. Uh, so we are gonna be expanding. We're looking to bring on volunteers and they'll go through our training program and that way we can help more people in the community go through the process. So the victim assistance is huge. Um, Long term, the goal is to then train other nonprofits or organizations throughout the state of Florida so that way they can also help people within their community. Unfortunately, Florida has been number one for fraud and identity theft for many, many years. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm sure you've had influence on this. I don't even know if you want to comment on it, but, you know, I've seen lots of rings get taken down. Um, where, where there's uh, a whole batch of credit cards um, which are stolen, the numbers along with Social Security numbers, and literally out of Miami a lot of times. A lot of it comes out of Miami, yes. And they take down whole rings. They do. And, you know, the funny thing about when they take down these rings, it's usually through a traffic stop. They pull someone over for some kind of a, a traffic violation, and that's when they find the banker boxes filled of credit cards or the book with the social security numbers in it. Um, it's very, very difficult for law enforcement to investigate these crimes. 
because there's multi-jurisdiction involved. So you could have a victim in Naples, you could have the activity taking place in Atlanta, Georgia, and you could have the criminal being in Miami or in another country. Um, calling your county sheriff's department cannot go outside county lines to investigate. So mm -hmm. it becomes very difficult. And, and often with these um, identity theft cases, the victim does not suffer an out-of-pocket financial loss. If it's involving a credit card or something in your bank account, you're protected by federal law. So it's zero dollar loss. So that means it's a slap on the wrist charge. So I, I think the limit is $50, right? The maximum out-of-pocket limit according to that legislation well, it's from in, the Con Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Right. It's actually interesting is that for the credit cards, everyone assumes it's the $50. That's for a lost credit card. If you are in possession of your credit card, there's zero liability. Well, that's good to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you call the credit card company and they say, do you have your card? You want to make sure you say yes. Because if you say, well, I don't know, I haven't checked, then that $50 could come into play. Well, that's a good tip. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So you meet with, with people, individuals, um, you know, is, is a portion of what you do. So what typically advice do you give those? Well, we do have, it's now up to a nine-page uh, risk reduction checklist that, uh, that we often, we don't use that for everyone because, you know, not all the, not all the situations apply. Uh, some of the biggest things is that if you're not going to be applying for any new credit, mean getting new loans or new credit cards or refinancing, put a credit freeze on your credit report. It's your best defense against new account fraud. Well, I feel pretty good because I've done that. Good. So you got one check mark. <laughs> one check mark. So far you got one. Eight, eight and a half pages more to go. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, it's one of the, the simplest things to do. Um, it's $10 per bureau, except in Florida, if you're over 65, it's free. So take advantage of it. Do it. Uh, you will be assigned a PIN number from each bureau. And in the event you do need to use your credit, you, you know, say you decide to refinance or get a car lease, um, then you just contact that bureau, provide your PIN number, ask them to do a temporary lift, and they allow the credit report to go out. Because with the freeze, no new creditor is allowed to see the credit report. If they can't see the report, the account should not be opened. So it's your best defense. So I guess what are your, some initiatives to, you know, at least um, mitigate the risk of this, this obviously big problem? Right. Uh, there's no way to prevent it. In the digital age, we are no longer in control of our sensitive information. Think about every organization you've had to give it to um, and all the data breaches that we've heard about over the years. I think so far in the United States, we're up to nearly a billion records that have been exposed nationwide since 2005, and those are just the ones we know about. Um, so it's very hard to prevent this from happening. But one of the biggest uh, things that we're trying to do at the Institute is education, because the more you know, the more aware you're going to be and the less likely you're going to fall for some of these things. Uh, for example, we offer consumer workshops. They're hour-long workshops and it's a $25 fee. Um, you know, one of the classes is privacy settings. So we, you come in with your phone and we walk through what are the privacy settings on your phone, how to use them. Because a lot of times people have a fear that if they start poking around, they're going to mess up their device. So you know, we help them get over that and, and tell them, you know, you want to make sure that you have a passcode on your phone. After um, years of using Microsoft. Right? Exactly. After years <laughs> of Microsoft, you don't want to touch anything. Um, but one of the big things is with Wi-Fi. Everyone leaves it to automatically connect to Wi-Fi. Well, if you do, you could be getting on a malicious network and you don't even even know it so just little things like that I'm that make a big that, difference like going to the airport or a coffee shop and connecting to a network and because 
that's what they do, right? They use, uh, you know, wireless and they have uh, packet sniffers to figure out uh, what the traffic is and then they're intercepting your traffic. Well, actually, they're doing one above that. It used to be the man-in-the-middle attack, like what you were talking about. Yeah. Now they create a malicious Wi-Fi. So let's say if you're at the airport, and you'll see that there's, you know, it'll say, um, you know, South Florida Regional, um, you know, RSW, maybe the, using the acronym. And then you'll see two of them that say the exact same thing. Well, one's the real one, and one's the malicious one. The minute you connect to that malicious one, it's installing malware on your device, and now they own you. Wow. So it actually roots your mobile device yes. or your laptop. And then what does that look like when it owns you? How do you detect that? Oftentimes you can't. Um, when it owns you, it could enable them to have access to everything and anything on it. Or sometimes it'll stay dormant on the device until you sync it to your computer, which a lot of people do, you know, to upload photographs and, and everything else. Um, and then it gets onto that computer, um, or it can use backdoors because think about what is on your phone. A phone is not a phone. It's a computer. Mm -hmm. It's a mini computer and you have everything on it. People keep their passwords on it. You know, they have all these apps that they're using. Everything and anything is on that phone. And that's the information that you could be giving up to an identity theft. Is that is that primarily being used for um, identity theft or also botnets and DDO, DDoS attacks as well? You name it, it's used for it. And, and what's the origin of that software? Where is it coming from? Um, that's a hard question to answer uh, because there are so many different countries that you know a lot of this is coming out of. But but the interesting thing about it is that it used to you had to be a programmer or a hacker to know how to do these things. Now, the hackers have discovered they make more money by selling their hacking programs, their malware, by reselling it than by trying to do the dirty deed themselves. So they develop these things. So on the dark web, you can actually buy software that'll that's malware. You can buy it, and then all you have to do is set it up and point to where you want it to go, and, and it's ready to go. So somebody downloads Tor, they go to some uh, website on the dark web to download the software and then they're off to the races stealing people's information that's exactly it well, that's scary that's exactly it yeah for about 35 dollars, you can buy my malware you can even buy ransomware now um, they have ransomware as a service so a company does it and you just subcontract them to do it so speaking of ransomware there's just a major attack the WannaCry. yes and uh primarily hit europe uk and uh people weren't able to access the information on their network um, how do you defend against that? Couple things. Uh, the reason why the WannaCry was so prevalent is because people were using outdated versions of Windows. They were using XP, which Windows years ago said we're not going to be supporting this. And they warned people if you continue to use this, if there's any security vulnerabilities, that's going to be on you because we're not covering it anymore. Um, so a lot of these these countries, they were still using the old version. So it was it, it was sitting wide open. It was really easy for hackers to get into. Um, but for any of this type of ransomware, your best defense is backups. If you back up your information, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, depending on you know the frequency of, of new information, as long as you have it backed up, then you don't need to worry about ransomware because you just clean out the computer start fresh again and reinstall and, and you're back up and running. You know, you may lose a, a little bit of information, but you're not going to lose everything. So where should people back up? That's a big question I always get. You know, everybody says, well, we'll back up to the cloud. Well, that's a whole nother discussion for another time, but you just need to be very careful with that. If you want to make a local backup, you know, just get yourself, now, now you can buy a, a, I saw a three terabyte hard drive, portable hard drive for yeah. like $100. 
you would never ever in a lifetime fill that thing up. I mean, it, it's huge. <laughs> well, you might. That's that's a different. You're, you're a special that's case a there. Have. <laughs> a few times. <laughs> but for the average person, you know, that would that would never happen to them. But the key thing is, you want to make sure what you're backing it up to that that local drive that it is encrypted. So that means in order to access the information on it, you have to enter a password. Another tip is once you've done the backup, disconnect it from your network or from your computer. Because if you get the ransomware on the computer and that backup drive is connected and it's not password protected or encrypted, it'll go right through and it'll corrupt your your local backup. So, you know, a couple extra steps. But, you know, you don't have to go big all fancy and get all this cloud stuff. Just You can just get yourself a portable hard drive. And then what I do, um, I have one of those, and then I have a second one. So I have one that I do, you know, daily or weekly. And then I have one where I'll do a backup of the backup on a monthly basis, and that one I keep in a locked file cabinet. Wow, that's that's pretty dedicated. Yeah. So as far as the, the encryption, uh, 256 or 512? The higher, the better. Nothing is 100%. I mean, the minute that, you know, we move to something, criminals are finding ways to, to get into what we're doing. But with anything that you're looking at, the stronger, the better. You always want to go with the strongest available. So for the listeners, if they had one takeaway from this conversation, what should it be? We need to stop thinking that we're in control of our information. We need to stop thinking identity theft will never happen to me. You need to shift your thinking to my information is already out there. It's just a matter of time before someone uses it. And when you have that perspective, then you're more aware. Monitor your bank statements. Monitor your credit card statements. Um, you know, if, if something doesn't look right, take action. Uh, you know, I, I see all the time where somebody would say, well, yeah, I saw that charge on there, but it was only a couple dollars, so I didn't pay attention to it. You need to pay attention to it because that can be your first red flag. Um, so, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. If you're going somewhere and they're asking for your social, ask them if it's a re requirement. You have the power of the purse. If you don't want to <coughs> give your social, then they may not offer that service, but it's up to you. You have the freedom to make that choice. Um, so just, you know, ask a lot of questions and, and be aware, but don't be naive thinking it'll never happen to me. If somebody gets wants to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Sure. Um, all they have to do is, is uh, give me a call, 239-598-6281. Uh, they can also go to our website, which is hodges.edu slash identity. Um, the other one is they can just send me an email. That's the best way because I'm out doing a lot of speaking and such. And it's just C Kersky, K-E-R-S-K-I-E at Hodges.edu. So if somebody wants to have you as a speaker, they could contact you directly. Yes. And be willing to go speak. And, and typically what's, what's the, you know. What does that look like? Sure. Um, with speaking, I, I speak nationally. Um, I think so far this year I've done 50 of them. <laughs> so we, that is one of the, the things that we do. Um, you know, we, we typically don't charge a fee, but we do ask for a donation because that's how we're able to support the, the victim services free of charge to the victims. Uh, but they give us a call, tell us, you know, what they're looking for. Uh, the big thing is we need a couple of options for dates and times because the calendar does fill up pretty quick. Um, and then we'll, you know, make arrangements and, and we try to cater it to whatever topic they, they prefer. So you're performing an incredibly valuable service, I think, to the community well, and, thank you. and essentially the nation. Um, 
So how does somebody go about supporting your efforts? Well, like I said, donations. Um, you know, we, we've only been doing this for a couple of years, so we're, we're trying to expand and, and bring on more volunteers and obviously the training and, and the overhead, you know, there's a lot of expenses involved in that. Um, so, you know, we're open to donations. You know, I've had people give me $5 and we've had, you know, higher values than that. So, you know, there isn't a donation we won't turn down because <laughs> it, <laughs> it goes to good use and it's, it's to help the victims in the area. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Naples Talk Radio.